Man, it's great to have you guys here, and it's uh, great to be worshiping here with you this morning. We are walking through a series, and the series is called Two Become One. And uh, so we're walking through a marriage series, just trying to get the lay of the land on that. That doesn't mean it's only for marrieds, though, right? Like if you're single, if you're engaged, if you've been married, if you are currently married, all of this information is applicable, good to be learning, be able to know, make sure we have God's view of what marriage is all about. And um, just a huge deal. I was talking this week with uh, Pastor Mark, actually, and as we were chatting a little bit about marriage, I just wrote a few things down. Mark had said, he read this uh, in one of the books, hey man, whatever we do, let's make sure it is God-honoring, Christ-exalting, spirit-indwelling. Like when we talk about marriage, this isn't some human-to-human interaction and let's get out of here. This is about, Lord, how can we put you first and foremost in my personal life and now in my married life? And Lord, how can we model you, Christ and the church, right? The bride and groom there, how can we model that into the marriage? Lord, help us to know it, help us to be able to teach it, help us to live it. And all of God's people said, yeah. That's where we need to be headed. J.D. Greer's comment, marriage, it's a gospel reenactment. Let that settle. Marriage, it's a gospel reenactment. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, right? And so we're going passionately after Jesus Christ shown off in our marriages. And let's just throw the triangle up here. So uh, we talked about this the last couple weeks, right? When we talk about oneness in marriage, Genesis 2 says the two shall become one. We talked about this at the bottom level, the foundational level, spiritual oneness. That's where it all starts. May we understand Jesus Christ first and foremost, and as the husband loves Christ, and as the wife loves Christ, we now both going after him agree now to worship together with each other, helping each other towards Christ, that spiritual oneness. And we walk through what it means for Christ to be the head of that home, man. And that's what it's all about. If you weren't here for it, check it out a couple weeks back, all right? Spiritual oneness. And then we went to relational oneness. It builds on it. Once you've agreed together who's in charge, Jesus Christ, once we're both assenting to him taking over, now we can start working together. And all too often we try to skip that and it really makes a mess of things. And so relational oneness, this is where we start rallying together, caring for one another. We walked through Ephesians 4 and we learned how to listen well and how to manage our emotions well and how to forgive well, and let's make sure this is a massive connecting together, caring for one another, relational oneness, all right? And so marriage, spiritual, relational, and then physical oneness, the intimacy element, and that is something that is a celebration of everything working together. That's what we're going to be talking about today. See, the world would like to take the triangle and turn it upside down and talk about what we're going to talk about today. First and foremost and only, really, in many cases, and to really not even get into the God aspects of it and just make it all about people, and uh, that's a major miss, all right? So we're going to be walking through this. We're going to be celebrating our God with the triangle intact, spiritual as our foundation, relational as the connecting, and then sexuality as this celebration, and uh, it's a massive deal that we get those first two levels right, and uh, you know, I'm just telling you. Today, uh, as I came out of the bedroom to uh, 
get ready. Jana was coming over here to be on the worship team, and uh, she was standing there waiting for me, scared the snot out of me, as she was standing there waiting just to say goodbye. And so I gave her a hug, and I just said, hey, I love you, babe. And as I held her close for a moment, I played with her hair. (laughs) At which point she said, oh, you really do love me. Like, hey, man, sometimes the words are cheap, and sometimes we need to figure out what they need to hear, what they need to interact with, and how they felt, feel loved in that, taking care of them, and making sure, yes, we get that spiritual Christ thing and the relational thing together. And uh, the intimacy thing is the thing that follows that and celebrates that, all right? So that's what we're going to be looking at today is physical oneness. And uh, how does that go down, and what's that supposed to be like, and what are some healthy understandings of it? And... Uh, Yep, we're going here. Okay, we're going to talk through this together, and let's make sure we really understand what's going on. So turn with me to Song of Solomon, chapter 4. Song of Solomon, chapter 4. It's an Old Testament book. We've got ushers coming forward. They've got Bibles in their hands. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and they'll get one to you, all right? Song of Solomon, chapter 4. And uh, I'll give you a little bit of time to look there. Just keep your hands raised, and they will get a Bible to you. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, all right? Some of you are like, okay, yeah, I got this one earmarked. I've been here a lot. Okay, then we need to talk afterwards a little. And, uh, and uh, it's a great book. Song of Solomon 4. Okay, so what are some things that need to be there for physical oneness? Uh, the first one, uh, body engaging, celebration of their outer attractiveness. Just do me a favor. When you write the word body, take the word engaging, scratch it out, and just write this word. Body appreciating, and uh, probably a better word. I came up with that on Saturday. Bulletins were already printed, all right? So uh, you can use either one, but uh, I want to be careful of what it sounds like and where we're headed with this. Body appreciating, uh, celebration of their outer attractiveness. And uh, okay, here we go. Everybody take a deep breath. I didn't mean that literally, but I'm glad you did. Good deal. And uh, here we go. Behold... You are beautiful, my love, beautiful. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. And uh, behold, that word literally means check it out. And, And that's what he's saying. He's like, check her out, man. Look at this girl. Now remember, he's talking about his wife here, okay? Everybody keep this in mind. We are talking about spouse, husband, and wife. In fact, Song of Solomon chapter 4 is the wedding day. So this is about ready to be married and about ready to celebrate that. All right? And he's like, do you see how awesome this girl looks? And it's amazing when we're in the midst of those commitment times and those excitement together, we just are awestruck by the one we're with. And he says, behold, you are beautiful. And then again, behold, you are beautiful. And uh, he's captivated by her outward appearance. Now, he goes on and he makes some statements here. We know from early in Song of Solomon that she has an extremely dark complexion, all right? And so I think that explains a little bit of the next piece. It says, your eyes are doves behind your veil, right? And so you picture a dove. What color is a dove? 
right? So the really dark skin, the thing that's going to show out against the dark skin is the whites of the eyes and her white eyes so huge and showing so big and seeing the doves, the white eyes there. She still has the dark eye with it as well. And so he's trying to be complimentary here, right? He's saying, hey, here's a beautiful thing your eyes remind me of. And uh, all right, now as we go forward here, He's going to start using some things to be complimentary, and he's going to talk about her and how beautiful she is. And just remember, he's choosing some things culturally that were really good things back then, okay? And so our job is to maybe think of our own cultural things that might be a good thing to say. Here he goes. He's like, your hair, baby. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Leaping down the slopes of Gilead. And, uh, and she was like, oh, right? And we're like, Psh. right? And so make sure you understand what's a complimentary statement. If you can't come up with the metaphor, if you can't come up with the simile, that's the like or just straight up statement of, right? If you're like, I don't know if it's going to work, then just say, I really like your hair. Okay? And uh, let's try to be complimentary. Let's understand where we're going and... and uh, He's like, hey, your hair, your teeth. They're like a flock of shorn ewes, baby. And uh, that have come up from washing, all of which have borne twins. Not one of them has lost its young. Oh. And uh, here's what he's saying. I love that you have all your teeth. That's what he's saying. And uh, I'm just saying what it says, man. Your lips are like a scarlet thread and your mouth is lovely. And uh, really appreciate the dark color of your lips against the dark color of your skin. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. When I look at your face, I think of a piece of fruit sliced in half and slapped on each side, baby. That's... and. uh, Hey, the pomegranate was a deeply appreciated fruit. He's being very complimentary here. And your neck... Guys, never, ever say this. It just will not work in our culture, but deeply appreciative here, right? He's like, your neck is like the Tower of David built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields of all of them, shields of warriors. Baby, your your neck, I could hang warrior shields on your neck. I don't, you know. Like, this is one of those gorgeous buildings that was, it had an aesthetic value. It was deeply appreciated for its beauty and its solidity. And he was like, you are like that. And, and everybody would have appreciated it then and, and uh, not so much now. But uh, so again, just be looking for culturally what's valued and, and how could I say this in a more poetic fashion? It's, it's good. It's okay to be sharing through it. And truthfully, if you're not very poetic, uh, be careful, right? Because make sure you know what you're saying. And uh, if all else fails and you want to quote this and say, I really couldn't be like on my own, I didn't want to take a risk. And so I was reading through God's word and I'm just saying, you're like better than this baby, right? And you're just walking through it with them together and you're caring for them. Notice he's going just all around recognizing and uh, your neck. Okay, next verse. And we're done. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, very clearly, right? Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies, bottom line. Yes, 
It is healthy with your spouse to be recognizing the full of the body, fully taking in who they are, absolutely grasping all and appreciating all. And uh, it's not wrong with your spouse. Everybody say, with your spouse. That's what it's all about. A recognition there and there alone, but a deep appreciation and uh, awesome how he's going through it together with her. And uh, a deep appreciation there. We're now moving physically and, yes, sexually into that and deeply appreciating there. It is biblical to appreciate. It is. And many of us may have been raised in churches where it was talked about as just wrong, bad, a necessary evil of some sort. Uh, Everybody say, that's not the plan. It's not the plan. God's gift and deeply appreciating one another and deeply appreciating who they are, the whole of who they are. Yes, the whole of their body even and understanding the physical and sexual nature of all of that and appreciating your spouse. Nowhere else but with your spouse and drinking deep of that, all right? Okay, he says, or she says here, or he says to her, until the day breathes, And the shadows flee. I will, here we go, go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. Like, I love being with you. I love the perfumes you wear, and I would love to be there all day long. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Have you ever noticed that? That when two people are, in quotes, falling in love, I want to be really careful with that word because that is not even a biblical word. But when there's the emotions that are all wrapped up in the experience, like flaws are like thrown aside and you start just seeing what you love and what you're amazed with and, and uh, that's what's going on here in this early phase of the relationship and, and uh, there are times where that fades and uh, that's a different chapter in Song of Solomon but a deep appreciation for and we just need to be working through with one another. This is that celebration on the marriage day. He says, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. And then depart from the peaks of Amana, from the peak of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of lions and from the mountains of leopards. He's like, listen, one thing I want to do, man, is I want to protect you. And, and I love who you are. And I love what you look like. And I love how God has put you together. I appreciate your body. And there's nothing wrong with that physically. Within the confines of marriage, that's what it's all about. And uh, here's the problem. In this world, we've taken it outside the confines of marriage. And it has now become just a lust or a drive. It is completely superficial. It has nothing to do with the person. And we end up just trying to satisfy or gratiate in that moment. And that's not the plan. Okay, may we be careful where we set our eyes. Our eyes are meant to be set on our spouse. Well, I'm not married. You're going to do a lot of eye bouncing. And watch yourselves. Be careful there. All right, that is meant for the marriage. Okay. Um, So I just wrote this down. Physical relationships, they are stirred by the visual, especially when we're talking about guys. Physical relationship can get stirred by the visual. Guys are visual in nature. And uh, how do you know it? 
because every marketing agency in the world has decided to go for what looks good, right? What they put up on billboards and what they go after in commercials, and uh, they know what they're doing as far as what actually happens with a guy. And uh, guys are visually stirred. And uh, so guys, talking to you right now, and uh, hear me on this, be very, very careful where you place your eyes. Worship follows. You hear me on that? Be very careful where you place your eyes. So there's a book actually called uh, Every Man's Battle. There's another one, Every Young Man's Battle, for more of the guy in high school, early college. Honestly, it's a great read in many regards. Just plan to read it fast and get it done, all right? I'm just telling you, I read through the book, and there's so much content on how to manage eyes and the physical and what happens and that it can end up actually getting your mind going the wrong direction as it stands, okay? So just be careful. I'm just telling you very flat out, great book, read it, read it quick, get the points and make sure you start living it. Here's the biggest point I took out of it. Bounce your eyes. Bounce your eyes. What does that mean? Guys, I need your attention on all this. What does that mean? It means this. The first glance or look like, there's nothing we can do. We're living in a world, we, like, really, you need to keep your eyes open. It's the best way to drive. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like, you need to keep your eyes open. The first thing you see just happens. The next thing you look at is on you, okay? Bounce your eyes. It's whatever happens. Now I'm looking away, and I'm done there because something saw, I saw there shouldn't be looked at and pondered over. I'm done. And I'm just telling you, there's an honor to your spouse. There's an honor to your girlfriend. There's an honor to the girlfriend or spouse you don't even have yet when you're willing to do that. Make sure you do not like feast the lust on something else. You hang on. You hang on for your bride. And be careful with it, bouncing the eyes. And my wife and I had to talk about it after I had read it a number of years back. And we were actually sitting in a restaurant chatting after that. And... Uh, there was a girl that walked by um, wearing less than she probably should have and uh, wearing things that I shouldn't have been seeing. And so as she walked past, I simply glanced back at Jana and then looked to the far left. So there was like no peripheral vision. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. And so, you know, absolutely. And she goes, you just bounced your eyes. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I did. I don't know if you saw She goes, oh, I did. I appreciate what you just did. That was a big deal moment that you're willing to not just continue to look, but look away. I'm just telling you guys, it's a huge deal. Watch where you put your eyes. And uh, now let's talk about the late night management. Watch that computer, man. You are taking the first half here of Song of Solomon and taking it outside the marriage and making it something other. I'm just telling you, pornography is a train wreck because it tries to make something only of the body and not of anything else. That is not valuing the marriage. It is not valuing the person. It is not valuing the relationship. And hear me now, it's not even valuing you. You are train wrecking yourself in the midst. Time to set that down. If there was one decision made today, be done with that. It's got to end, man. Get ready to bounce your eyes and be done with the onlooking, all right? C.S. Lewis, he just wrote this a number of years back. Imagine visiting a country where the young men all go off to college, excited and thrilled for the first time. They go out and they buy giant life-size posters of hamburgers. 
Full-size, vivid pictures, amazing pictures of food, bacon, burgers, ice cream, sundaes. All the guys go around to each other's rooms and they look at these pictures and they just ooh and ah about the meat and the food that's been placed up on the screen or up on, this, up on the wall. Late at night, men search the internet for food and pictures and then they just look on. Same kind of thing going on, right? What would you conclude? Lewis says, they must be starving, right? And uh, nope, they got all the food they need. So what's the issue? He said the issue must be that there's something, something inside deeply struggling and in need of God. And uh, let's be very careful with it, man. And uh, sexual, sexual desire does have a lot of chemical connection to it and all that, and I get it. And the younger we are and the more the stuff is driving, I get all that. But please hear me, man. You can't control where you put your eyes. And so let's just be cautious what we do and where we go with it. Guys, the marriage is made for lavishing your eyes upon them, appreciating who they are, loving what God has put together as an amazing creation before you, God-honoring, Christ-exalting, and still celebrating your design, how God made you. Absolutely important, all right? What needs to change in our walk? Ladies and men, what do we need to do differently so that we're appreciating the body, we get what God's doing with it, and we're ready to move forward in celebrating a marriage? Make the right decisions there, all right? Number two, not just body appreciating, soul captivating, soul captivating, celebration of their inner attractiveness, soul captivating. And uh, he says here, you have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace, you have captivated my heart, this inner piece of me, this soul, the heart that just bangs and beats and thinks and reasons and all that goes on within my soul. You've captured that. How? He says right after it. How beautiful is your love. See, what's happening is he's seeing her care for him, care for others, care even for her God. He's seeing her have a passionate purposeful relationship as she takes care. And it is amazing all that God does through her. And he begins to appreciate not just her physical looks, but so much more deep within. All that God is doing in her soul as he's warming her up to him, as he's creating in her a mature follower of him, as she's caring for those around, and especially that includes him. And uh, how beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride, uh, my sister. Is this creepy? Like, be a little careful. What does it mean in the original language? It strictly means my deepest friend, close, like family. That's what it means, all right? And so it is calling out family, but it's in the metaphor, a poet, poetry statement. He's like, man, we're like family. I love being with you. You are like a friend to me. And uh, more than that, you are my bride. Cannot wait to be with you for all of life. And uh, a deep, soul-captivating relationship. This is starting to get very God-honoring. You hearing me? 
Yes, there's an appreciation for the physical, but so much more now there's an appreciation for how God is working within them and all that he's doing in their value system, uh, the soul or the heart. It's how you think. It's how you feel. It's what you desire to go after. Thinkings, feelings, and desires. That's what's in the heart. Thinking, feeling, and desiring. And you're going passionately after that. You're loving what God's doing there. And uh, how much better is your love than wine? Like, hey, man, there's some things that captivate. They distract me. They soften up my attention to other things, wine or something. Man, that is useless compared to you. You are awesome and uh, loving who she is. And the fragrance of your oils uh, more than any other spice. This is a huge deal. He's loving how she even captivates him in the present, in the moment. And uh, yes, the perfumes, yes, her physical features, and yes, how she cares for those around her. And uh, all right, the soul in marriage. This is the part that is the difficult one. Trying to care for one another deeply within and how they think and feel and act and behave and value. All right? And so let's just do this. Uh, boundaries that protect the soul in marriage. Okay, top five. Boundaries that protect the soul in marriage. Number one, covenant. Covenant. Man, live out the vows you've taken. Have you listened to the vows of marriage? For richer, for poorer, right? For better, for worse, in sickness and in health. Like, it doesn't matter what's going on. I'm promising for life, man. I'm with you. Covenant, a vow taken. Now make good on it, right? That safety net of promises made. Those aren't just words that sound good up in front, and so we say them, and then afterwards we'll figure out what to do. And if it turns out that it's just sort of distracting to have to continue that, because after all, they've kind of bothered me lately. So I'm done with them. Forget the vow. And, uh, and that does not build and protect the soul, all right? And so covenant, that's the first one. It comes from Malachi 2, 14, where he talks about the wife of your covenant. And uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. Number two, lifelong, lifelong. Romans 7, 1 says that marriage is until death do we part, lifelong. Okay, now there are a couple of moments where marriage can be absolved, where the covenant can be broken. And we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. Okay, there are biblical reasons and moments for when the covenant can be broken. But aside from those two, right, it's this massive commitment to we're in, okay? And uh, covenant and lifelong. And just so you know, when a marriage took place back then, biblically, they would actually take an animal and they would cut the animal in half. This is during the wedding. Can you imagine that moment? Cut the animal in half, separate the two sides, blood on the floor. They would walk between the two halves of the animal, stand up there and take their vows. And when they were done taking the vows, part of it was, may this happen to me and worse if I do not make good on these vows. That's how for real it was, man. Let's make sure we understand it's not just some ceremony in the moment so that we can have fun. And uh, it is that. It is meant to be a ton of fun and a massive celebration, but more than that, for life and covenant, making good on the vows. And uh, that's Romans 7.1 there on that one. Number three, committed solely to each other. 
1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 and 2. Committed. And uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 and 2 says that each of you take one husband and one wife, that you have a partner, a spouse in this. And that's where all this focus goes. All the energy that our bodies have been built to have naturally, that God has designed into you. Man, God's designed that. Let's stop saying it's bad. Let's start putting it in the right context. Inside the marriage, taking care of our spouse and taking care of the couple, all right? And uh, that's what it looks like. So covenant, lifelong, committed. Um, I'm just going to say this about the committed to one another. That also includes, watch your emotional commitments. That affects the soul more than you could ever imagine. And all too often I hear this, well, I didn't have an affair. Yes, that's the outer, that's the body effect. But what about the soul connects? Watch yourself. It is about setting your heart closest to your spouse. Okay? Be very careful with that. And so if you're in a workplace and you work around members of the opposite sex, watch yourselves. Be careful. Be wise to it. Be wise how you manage it. I'm just going to tell you this flat out just so you've heard this officially stated from the front. We have rules for our boundaries with our staff. And one of the rules is we do not sit down to a meal or take even a car ride where we're one-on-one with the opposite sex, just us and a, for me, me and another girl. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to counsel, so I'm going to go meet her over at whatever, at Chili's, and we're just sitting there chatting at Chili's. That's called a date, just so you know. We're not doing that, man. And if there's a time that needs to be counseled, then it's going to be in the offices. It may very well include an advocate. In my case, I'll almost always be pulling my wife in. So ladies, if you're counseling with me at any point, notice that my wife will be there with. We're going to be a part of that. By the way, she's a fantastic counselor, better than me in many regards. So you want her there. And uh, it's great to be able to partner. And I'm just telling you, I love how God protects wisely when we do that, okay? Be careful of what boundaries you put in place. Watch the emotional commitments, all right? It does affect your soul. The very thing that he's talking about, his heart, the very thing he's talking about here, being captivated by his spouse, not to be captivated by anybody else. The end. Okay, covenant, lifelong, committed, sacrificial. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 through 5 says that your body is your spouse's. And your spouse's body is yours, okay? And uh, every guy in here was like, I knew it, right? And uh, I'm just telling you, that means two things now. I wrote these down. That means, yep, we need to be uh, available and willing to be able to be together intimately, sexually. We need to be willing. It also means we need to be willing not to, both sides of that. Like, what's going on in their life, and does this even make sense, and do they feel miserable, and, you know, and they're like, I'm serious, I have a pounding migraine, and I just, I'm telling you for real, and, and you're like, sorry, baby, pastor said, your body's mine, so, and like, that's a bad moment, man, okay? So I'm just saying, I understand, and yes, you do belong to one another and care for each other in that. The scripture is very clear there in 1 Corinthians 7. Don't let that go on for a long time. You cause the burning to start happening. When there's an appetite being fed and then it's stopped for a season, it does cause that to start stirring up. Be wise in that, okay? And you're like, seriously, I have a migraine. If that migraine's been going on for like seven and a half years, 
get to a doctor. We need to get this thing figured out, man. Okay? And uh, it's a big deal. Let's be very careful. Be willing and, uh, and be willing not to. Okay? Partnership together. And uh, yes, you belong to one another. And uh, it's not just me and my world and my thoughts and my selfishness. All right? And then last one. This is probably mostly for the single people here. And uh, be timely. This certainly protects the soul in marriage. Be timely. Uh, when God wants to provide, then you go after the marriage. Okay? And I love Song of Solomon, two different places, but Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verse 5, it says these words. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, this being said by the woman, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. She's like, I'm just telling you, the feelings are amazing. The vulnerability is amazing. The intimacy and oneness is amazing. The wrestling is amazing. The heartache is amazing. And I'm just telling you, be wise to when God's calling you to it. And so I'll quote J.D. Greer here. He had some great statements on it. He said, uh, marriage, don't be marriage idolatrous. Like, I have to have that. I can't be happy unless. But don't be marriage avoidant either. I don't even want to think about it ever. I don't ever want to hear that. And it, those are both such wide extremes. It's Let's live in that middle ground with, Lord, your timing, and when it seems to make sense, and then I'll come forward with that, but not until then. And, Lord, I want you all over, around, and through it. God-honoring, Christ-exalting, walking patiently and carefully, all right? And uh, for those of you who are single, I, I recognize where you're at. I feel your pain. I was 29 when we got married and uh, been there. We've walked through that. And uh, I understand that season of hanging on and being wise and being careful and managing along the way. Yes, it can be done. Yes, it's biblical. Yes, God will honor it. Deep breath. world doesn't teach this. Don't listen to what the world has to say. Go where God's talking and listen to what he has to say about it, all right? Okay. So, I love doing weddings. And... Uh, it's a blast to be a part of them, and uh, we've got a great staff. We've got a lot of pastors that do weddings, and uh, we always have a ton of them going on every year. Love partnering with all of our guys as they all do them. We just had one yesterday here, and uh, one of the things I like to do at a wedding, first one I ever did, actually, years back now, first wedding I ever did, started this up, was just, hey, tell me about when you guys met, what made you want to get together, okay? And then after it was, how about now? What do you like now? And uh, invariably, the what made you want to get together is usually a little lighter weight, right? And Because uh, you don't know each other well. And so this couple, um, first couple that I was marrying, I said, so, dude, like, so what was it that made you want to get together with Aaron? And, and he was like, dude, she is hot. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Song of Solomon, chapter 4, first piece, right? Great. And uh, don't need to know any more than that. Don't need to hear about the goats and Gilead and... <laughs> We're good. We'll leave it there. Now, how about now? And uh, he said, unbelievable passion for the Lord and ability to care for others. Do you hear how it moved from body to soul? Do you hear that? That is almost always the answer I get. While it may start with some level of light, superficial, physical attraction, and there's nothing wrong with that, but be careful to overemphasize that, what really matters is getting to soul captivation, okay? That's what matters. And uh, so afterwards, so, and I asked the girl, well, how about you? What, what is it that 
uh, attracted you to Mark? And uh, do you remember this? And she's like, he is hot. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, they weren't together. I asked them separately. Both of you thought each other was hot. She's like, yeah. I'm like, it's good you got married fast. Like, so what do you like about Mark now? And same thing, deep soul thing. So appreciative of how gentle and tender he is with other people and caring and kind and soul again. Body moves to soul captivation, all right? And so yes, the physical oneness will involve, I appreciate what God has done. Our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen? Let me say that again. Our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen? How much deeper the soul is fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm just telling you, make sure that your physical intimacy is all in. Body appreciating, soul captivating. So a simple challenge. How are you doing on the oneness in your marriage when it comes to soul captivating? Listening to each other, taking care of each other, getting their feelings and their thoughts and their desires and working with their soul and appreciating their soul. There is work to be done here. Physical intimacy involves this. And guys, I'm just telling you, right now in this room, there are some ladies whose souls are starving. It's time to care. All right? And yes, we're talking physical intimacy. We'll get to that in a moment. This is what builds unbelievable physical intimacy. Care for her soul. Okay? Number three, partnered passion. Both parties agree to come together and celebrate their oneness in a God-honoring way. Partnered passion. Both parties agree to come together and celebrate their oneness in a God-honoring way. And uh, so he says here, um, he's going back now, right? We're going to head back into the physical oneness now. And so now it's going to become the physical intimacy together. And so here comes some of the mention of body again. So your lips drip nectar, my bride. Uh, Honey and milk are under your tongue. It sounds like she has an eating problem, doesn't it? I don't know. I mean, you got honey dripping off and you got milk in there and you got nectar falling off the side. I'd, I'd be like, honey, here's a napkin. I don't, I don't know. So sweet and rich, that's what this is supposed to say, like rich and sweet and love all that you are. And this is really alluding to the kiss, an appreciation of a kiss together and uh, taking care of one another just in that way. The fragrant, fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. I'm assuming Lebanon does not smell like the smokestacks down on the river and uh, that there's this sweet fragrance to it, right? A garden locked is my sister, my bride. uh, A spring locked, a fountain sealed. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates. Locked, locked, sealed. You hearing that? Wait for marriage. That's what he's saying. And uh, not until we're married, honey. I love you too much. And uh, so again, I'm speaking to guys right now. Be very, very careful, guys. And uh, it doesn't matter if it seems that she's willing to say yes. Respect what God's calling you to. Wait for the marriage. All right? And this is a huge deal. world does not agree with it. Let's kick the tires on it. And uh, down with that. That is not caring for the soul. 
And uh, learning to care for one another physically is something that happens in the safety of marriage under covenant for life, okay? And we're going to talk a little bit in just a second here about what if I didn't wait. And we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment, okay? And, uh, but that's the statement here. So everybody get it? The ultimate goal we're headed for is locking down and hanging on for the wedding. And um, it's a big deal moment. He, uh, he goes on here. He says... Um, your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates and all the choicest fruits, uh, henna and nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense and myrrh and aloes, with all choice spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water, and flowing streams. He's describing a garden with all that it has, right? He's like, I'm just telling you, baby, I'm dumping all the poetry I got on you. I love what God's doing right here. That, that's what he's saying. And there's passion in it. And uh, make sure that your physical intimacy involves some level of focus and passion and taking care of talking to each other, all right? And uh, he now goes into, Awake, O north winds, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden, uh, let its spices flow. And uh, there's a lot of illustration going on in this. Just so you know, the winds from the east and the west would have brought rains off of the Mediterranean and it would have been devastating to the garden. The east-west winds were devastating. The north-south winds were the ones they needed to be able to grow the garden and take care of a garden well. Okay, so that's part of the illustration going on here. And I think there's a lot more than that going on and I think your mind can go to it, right? And so the, the winds here, probably recognizing his breath, the closeness of being together, and the intimacy in that. And, uh, and then the spice is flowing, just a super healthy relationship together and the celebration of. And um, okay, I'm just gonna say this. Um, coming together is something that we need to go after, okay? And it does need to happen regularly, caring. First Corinthians 7, very clear to that. She answers back, let my beloved come to his garden and eat his choicest fruit. And uh, speaking poetically here, but just let's come together. Let's be together. And uh, ladies, big challenge. Uh, you don't know what it does for your guy for you to say you want to be with him. Okay? It's a big deal moment. And uh, just let this be a moment where you hear the, okay, so sometimes I need to be leaning in, right? And uh, asking, what do you think? And uh, that's a big deal. And for those who are single, and uh, not married right now, and even kids in here, I'm just telling you, it is super important that moms and dads love each other and take care of each other in a God-honoring way, all right? And um, so I'm just going to say this, a hug in a public moment in front of your family, a kiss in front of your family, those are great moments. And uh, if you're hearing these words from your high school kid, oh, gross, you're probably succeeding. Okay? If you hear it too often or too loud, you might need to knock something off. I'm just saying. I don't know what's going on, but I'm just telling you, there is a healthy moment of an appreciative hug, of a playing with the hair just for the moment, of giving a light kiss and just saying, I love you. And it's not meant to go any further than that, but it is expressive and it is public in that moment. Uh, be careful with that. Public expression as well. There are times and places. Be wise with that. All right? Um, Breaking out and making out in here. <laughs> Enough said. And uh, just saying, 
Some of you are looking at me like you're weird, and I'm just telling you, two people or three people are like, oh, okay, then there's a new rule for me. Didn't know that. And uh, so let's just be wise with all of our timeliness of things, but I'm telling you, your kids need to know that you love each other, okay? And make sure that's shown a little bit. And uh, all right. So she's calling together. He answers back. Uh, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh and spice. I uh, ate my honeycomb with my honey and drank wine with my milk. And uh, him coming together now too. And this coming together gets celebrated in the end. Eat friends, drink, and be drunk with love. This is the end of the wedding, right? This is like they're throwing the rice at them. They're like, enjoy life together and go after life together. And, and there's this huge understanding of the oneness that's going on and the oneness that will be celebrated physically. And uh, okay, so just a couple practical statements here. Um, we can't ever agree on when. What do we do? And uh, so I'll just tell you this. Here's just a couple thoughts. Um, be wise to talk it out with each other and make sure you hear from each other. More often than not, I find that they actually agree on the how often it's the when that it actually falls in is the tough time, okay? That's the more often. But I'll just say talk it out. Try to figure that out. Um, here's a rule we heard recommended on an internet thing we were listening to one time in a sermon. The guy called it the 24-hour rule. And it basically meant, look, if you need to say no, then basically in the next 24 to 48 hours, let's try to make it a yes, okay? And that kind of works together to try to make things happen. And there's stuff that, there's times where that won't make sense, and I get all of that, but it's just a nice general thought of, let's just not keep pushing out and pushing out and pushing out. And we end up in a time where we truly are in 1 Corinthians 7, we're causing them to burn in the separation from each other, okay? Let's be wise to that. And uh, for those of you who have little kids, here's another practical, all right? So uh, when we had kids that were younger, we ended up making this rule. The rule was, uh, this is a lot less romantic, all right? But uh, I owned half the week, she owned half the week. And then the person who owned that part of the week, when they said, okay, I'm thinking, then it was kind of like, then we're going to go with that. But that means one party has to initiate during that half of the week. It causes you to be an initiator, right? That helps for the woman to be initiating. And uh, you're like, that's totally, you know, like, well, what do you think about now? I'm sorry, Monday to Wednesday was my time. So I'll get back to you, right? It's not that, it's not, but I'm just telling you, be practical, be wise about your interaction together. Man, this is one, I'm seeing a lot of you shifting around. I'm just telling you, this is one of those uncomfortable conversations because you start to borderline on, should we even be talking about it? And the answer is, yes, we should. Let's get a little bit of reality out there and let's work it through. If you are working through something in your marriage where physically you just can't seem to get it worked out, come and talk to us. We as pastors would love to talk to you. If you want to talk to a lady, we got my wife, we've got, we would love to talk to you. All right? Let's get help, this, let's get help to you and get this worked out so that God can be celebrated in the midst of the oneness. Okay? All right. That said... There are a lot of people in the room right now that are like, I didn't do this. That's not where I've gone, and I'm devastated, and what do I do now? And so let's just talk this out, all right? Hear me now on this. Need all eyes up here. Our God is a loving God. He loves you. He is a restoring God. He is all about taking broken and that's what we all are, is broken and working with us and moving us back towards him. 
That's what our God does. That's what he's in the business of, man. And so in the midst of this moment, if there's been decisions that have been made that you wish you never made, I'm telling you this, your God is ready to restore. Your God is ready to bring you in. And if you have heard from the pit of hell this lie, well, I've gone down this path, there is no going back, that's a lie. I want to tell you that your soul can be cared for by Jesus Christ in a way that will be amazing. It is time to come before him and hand it over and be done. And uh, if you are living with someone and you're not married, hear me now with as much gentleness as I can say, we love you and we want to help you walk through changing that so that God is honored and right steps are taken and you have cared for your spouse, okay? And so let's talk about what that means to separate for a season, to figure out if marriage is right and be moving towards the marriage then again. I've done a number of these where we've walked people apart for a season, they come back together, and that marriage is unbelievable as God is brought center stage on the massiveness of forgiveness. They love each other so much in it and the sacrifice in it. Time to put a Song of Solomon, chapter 4 and verse 5, into your marriage. Care deeply for them, all right? And uh, so here's how it goes down. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. It means he never doesn't do it. He always does. Faithful, just, and he cleanses us. He's going to clothe you with Christ's righteousness. That's what God has for you. Clothed with Christ's righteousness. Making much of your king. It is time to move forward with your God put center stage. And uh, Hebrews chapter 10 then is the next verse. And uh, just an amazing verse. It's a set of verses here. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through Jesus Christ's flesh. Since we have a great priest over the house, get ready now, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with a pure water. Praise be to God. Soul transforming body transforming, God working in you. Let's put it in Song of Solomon terms. Time to lock the garden gates again and time to turn it over to Christ and make him your king where he cleanses and does an amazing work. And from here forward, my God will be glorified. And that's all we are doing. Every one of us has sin in our life and it's time to set it down. And all of God's people said, and time for us to set it down. Here's my cry. What's God calling you to do right now to set this all before him? Maybe it's a broken marriage, something rough going on in your oneness there. Maybe it's in sexuality and your singleness. Maybe you're living together. It's time to get it clean. All right? So I'm just going to ask worship team to come on up. And while they're coming up, let's just take some time right here to go to prayer. And uh, let's just lift up this time before him where you're saying, Lord, please forgive me. Whatever needs to go. Maybe it's just an attitude. Maybe it's some action. Maybe it's something in your marriage that needs to change. 
Maybe it's something in your singleness that needs to change. Lord, I'm handing it to you. Let's go. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for such clarity in your word. We thank you for the teach that gives us direction. And Lord, hear our cry as we come to you now. Teach us, Lord, what needs to go. Press in now, Lord, what needs to be given up. Lord, in this room, move right now, powerfully and passionately, as King of Kings. And please forgive us. Just thank your God for being King and worship Him. Lord, you are King of kings and Lord of lords, and now we just pray in light of that, here's some things I need to hand over. Will you please forgive me? This area of my life hasn't gone well, Lord, and I want you, God, honored in it, Christ exalted. I'm handing it to you. What needs to go? What needs to be cleansed? Lord, you are faithful and just. We can trust in you and depend on you. We are amazed with you and in awe of you. Lord, may we just hand this over to you now and see you as redeemer and restorer with a plan. Here's my request. Actually make this decision in your mind. Lord, I'm handing you my soul Deep within me, Lord, take what needs to be taken and work in me. How I think, how I feel, what I value. Take my soul, Lord. It's yours. Now, Lord, take my body. It's yours. I want to honor you and glorify you with how I live, how I physically make choices. May my body be used to glorify you. Hear my cry, Lord, as I hand this over to you now. Trust him. Hand it to him. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you are redeemer and restorer, that you are king of kings and lord of lords, that you have a plan and a purpose and we can rely on you. Lord, I just thank you now that in the midst of this room, there is peace, not shame. There is healing, not pressure. 
that you move in our souls and we worship you.